Joyce Tapley, as a CEO of a multi-million dollar healthcare center, is a proven thought leader on matters of public health. We created this podcast because it's time for a real discussion about the state of healthcare in our nation. Welcome to a new episode of Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. Welcome to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley, and I am your host, Joyce Tapley. We're now halfway through our first season of episodes, and I want to thank everyone who have been listening and downloading the podcast. I have received so many positive thoughts and feedback and accolades, and I really appreciate your support. I'm somewhat overwhelmed by the responses and all the comments we've been receiving. So I wanted to do something a little different for this episode. So I invited the Lindell Singleton to be on this show. Since Lindell is the executive producer and creator of this podcast and a movie and TV producer. I wanted us to talk about imagery and communication and messaging and how all that links back to healthcare. Now, last year, I got my first introduction in the movie business as I joined Lindell and his crew to produce a documentary, A Deficit of Virtue, Healthcare in America. We're actually going to listen to some of the excerpts from the documentary today. Lindell, One of your movies had a red carpet premiere last week, and you also have another movie that premiered on PBS. And you still find time to produce my podcast. Wow, you are something else. So tell me about all of this. Well, first of all, of all the things I'm doing, producing your podcast is like the most important thing in my life. And I want you to know that. I knew you'd <laughs> say that. That is wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, that's on the script. You know, what do I tell you all the time? <laughs> Follow the script. That's right. You know, what's it. the story? So first of all, I just want to just say to you and the listeners that you're a great host of this podcast and you make my job producing this podcast so easy because you're so good at it. And I really love working with you on this podcast. So thank you. I'm happy to do it. And it's one of the fun things that I end up doing. But I wanted to just kind of get into what you asked me. You know, the film that we had that premiered on PBS, it's called Rising the Hall of Negro Life. And as you know, like the actual building that was the Hall of Negro Life is actually about a stone's throw from MLK Clinic. That's right. In South Dallas. That's right. We're close. Very close. And what this film is about for your listeners is back in 1936, Texas hosted the World's Fair and it was called the Centennial Exposition. And this was a global event in the state. And at this event, there was a building called the Hall of Negro Life. And the significance of this building is that it represented the first time post-slavery that black people got an opportunity to tell their stories with their writers and their artists and be able to present their accomplishments to the world. It was profoundly significant because, you know, up until then, you know, the national narrative around black folks was you're just domestic workers and cotton pickers and that's it. But now you have this building that is an homage to all these extraordinary things that black folks have done in America. And there was an exhibit on art and literature. There was an exhibit on manufacturing. There was an exhibit on music. Marian Anderson actually performed. Aaron Douglas did the artwork. 
Aaron Douglas, of course, being the most famous artist from the Harlem Renaissance period. We had all of this, but there was also an entire exhibit that was dedicated to health for the American Negro at that time. And I was thinking about you, actually, in our podcast when I was working on that piece and thinking about the exhibit to health. Now, remember, this is 1936. Right. And what do you think about, Joyce, the fact that three out of every five black persons that were dying in the 1930s were dying because of tuberculosis, pulmonary issues? Well, that certainly hit home because my father's parents died from tuberculosis. They were both in their 20s. My father was five when his mother passed and seven when his father passed. They were at a tuberculosis hospital and still didn't get the same level of treatment and type of treatment that other white counterparts did. So that hits very close to home. My father was just recently telling me how he remembers now, and my father's 84, he remembers now his father leaving the hospital because they weren't doing anything for him. And he drove my father and his sister home and passed. So we are certainly, certainly in our family and tuberculosis as much as we've done all that we can to prevent that from happening again through you know, immunizations. It still happens. And we just in general don't know all of the signs and, um, We don't all believe that we should get that vaccine, but it's just as important as all the other ones that's preventing other types of conditions. But yes, that certainly has hit home. I did not know that about your family. I mean, what you just said about not being able, your grandparents not being able to get the proper treatment. You know, one of the things that we encountered just as a kind of as an ancillary piece is that there were many sanitariums, and I mean, you're the healthcare expert, so you'll have to fill in the nomenclature, but if to treat tuberculosis, you went to what was called a sanitarium. Is that kind of the accurate term? They're isolation sites, so they're hospitals with isolation rooms is how it's designed so that the contents in the air aren't spread. Okay. You know, I don't really know what the current term is just because there aren't a lot of people, you know, mass folks having tuberculosis, but I can tell you that they've infirmaries, they've had all kinds of names. But the bottom line is, did they get the treatment wherever they were being held? And no, not everyone, not everyone equally. And that's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. It has changed over the years on how people are being treated. But I'm going to go back to this again. The reason there were community health centers started in major underserved areas throughout the country is so that there can be equal access, high quality care, for anybody, regardless of their color of their skin, regardless of their economic background or their education or their age, it's designed to help people prevent diseases and if they have some to help them manage those. And so tuberculosis is one, but there are a lot of key chronic conditions that affect the black community and still do. And it can be changed, but the awareness has to be there. We have to trust the people who are going to take care of us. And we have to share the information that we know about our family history so that we can figure out what we can potentially prevent. So I know that was a long answer to your question, but I think the bottom line is, regardless of the term, people need to be taken care of, especially black folks, people of color, people who are uninsured, low income. Everybody needs to be able to receive the same treatment, the same level of quality care and education so that they understand if they have to take a medicine why they're taking that and what it does for it. It just reminds me of some recent 
scenarios and discussions I've had with my parents' doctors. So we can leave that for another day. Well, I mean, obviously this is hitting close to home, but just going back to what we're just saying about tuberculosis and linking it back to the movie Rise in the Hall of Negro Life is that if you were black and you had tuberculosis because of the Jim Crow laws that infiltrated into healthcare, unless there was a specific, you know, sanitarium or infirmary or place that uniquely treated black folks, you just died from tuberculosis. There was nowhere to go for you to be able to get treatment. And, you know, and I guess that's another reason why, you know, the fact that the community health centers have kind of grown up is that there was just lack of opportunity to be treated unless you were just, you know, white or unless you were part of a subgroup that had the means and resources, the money to create this kind of environment for treatment separate from kind of the normal white place that white people went, but they had their own space. So yes. I, you know, and the I reality know. too is there were a lot of blacks who were in healthcare, physicians and nurses and support staff, even in hospitals that were built, they were required to take care of patients on certain wings or certain floors of the hospital. So that was segregated too, just as early as, you know, 55 years ago. So they still had to be in certain places to take care of the folks that they were required to take care of, which were black folks. And all this is just a, an outgrowth of Jim Crow policies, separate but equal, which was really, you know, separate, separate. but unequal for the most part. There's some things that you can't control. There's some things that are just way outside of your sphere of influence. But there are things that you can do to improve the healthcare outcomes in your family. How do we do that? I know that it helps to know what your family health history is. So if we can ask our parents, our aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, what types of health conditions they have, you know, something that we can know that's potentially hereditary, that would be helpful. That's how it helped me on my journey to really being interested in health when my grandmother died at age, I think she was 65. I just think that knowing what potentially is in our family is important and then going to the physician or nurse practitioner or physician assistant. Those are all valid providers and asking a lot of questions. I mean, we can Google now, what are the questions that I can ask a doctor when I go to the doctor? There are a list of questions that'll pop up. And if that doctor is a good one or that nurse practitioner or PA is a good one, they will listen and answer your questions or have one of their staff members ask, answer those questions or send you home with some additional information, FAQs, so you can have some answers. But spending some time to know, you know what's going on in the family history, because we do have to do a family history when you're going to the doctor. And I'm just saying doctor, but it's dentist also, because people still don't realize that if you have an infection in your mouth, that's a part of your bloodstream and you can have issues with your organs or your blood or anything if you have some type of illness or some type of disease in your mouth. I mean, that's important. And then even we say we got to minimize our stress, but you know, what does that really mean? We don't all know what causes stress or causes us to be anxious, but we do know that it's important that we talk with somebody about it. And we don't do that. So you can call that person a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a licensed professional counselor or a counselor or a mentor or a pastor or a deacon, somebody that can help you get out 
what is going on in your head that prevents you from focusing on yourself as well as your family and friends. So I said a lot of that too, in a lot of different ways, but there are so many ways that we can help improve ourselves, but we have to want to do that. And then again, try to find some place where there is a provider, a professional provider that you can trust so you can rely on them on a regular basis. Yeah. So we've got the Negro Hall that is actually exposing more people to the contributions, the positive contributions that blacks have made. So when is your next big movie documentary? Well, one that I'm doing with you, as you know, and your listeners will now know, is that we worked with a local university last year and they screen premiered our film, A Deficit of Virtue, Healthcare in America. And I understand that you're going to play a little clip from that later in the show today, and then we're going to talk about it. Yes. So thank you for doing that. So that university, we're working with them and building and shaping a documentary about teen suicides, primarily teen suicides in the black community. And, you know, we believe this is a, a real issue that needs to be dealt with, and it's hitting our youth in a particularly, you know, onerous manner. And I know that a big part of what happens, you know, at the place where you work is a real push toward behavioral health for young people. Actually, younger and older, I've been reminded that mental health problems, if there are some, kind of run in the family. So there may be more than one person I know that's one of the questions they ask when you go to the doctor, too, is anybody else in your family has had any kind of mental problems or had to see a psychiatrist or something like that. But with these children and the young folks, we want them to have a place where they can talk out what's going on in their head. What are they experiencing? And with all of what's going on in the world, it's not just children who need to have some way to talk with a professional. I mean, we've got the mass shootings and individuals shooting each other. I mean, every day you hear about something that's negative, the wars that are going, that have been happening, and people getting jacked and all those things that after a while we don't want to hear about, but it's reality and we have to figure out how do we not internalize it to the point where our mind can help us focus on what we need to do as young folks because we are trying to build up our teens and our youth and young adults to start doing the things that they want to do in life and dream about being here and making a contribution, whatever that is. And it's difficult when you see on social media as well as in TV and everything else, all these bad things that are happening because it's a scary world, but we have to help them stay focused. It's difficult for adults to see all this stuff because I can tell you as a mother, every time something happens to somebody, I'm thinking, I hope that doesn't happen to me or my child or my spouse or my brother or sister. All those things that we internalize that we naturally do, and sometimes it's hard to get past that. But I think that the efforts and the direction that you're trying to go with focusing on teen youth, particularly black teen youth, is something that we need to uncover. It, there's got to be a way for us to help prevent that from happening. But we need to know what's causing it, and hopefully we'll be able to help in that solution. We just want to use the power of documentary filmmaking to really galvanize thought and understanding and teaching and learning around matters of relevant social change. And if you've got an exponential increase in one group of kids in this country that are death by suicide, yeah. they're taking their own lives, then, you know, this is something that we need to shine the light on and then begin to 
move toward some design pattern that results in awareness plus solutions. Yeah, and prevention, big time. Because we don't want them thinking that the solution to what they see as a problem means that they don't want to be here anymore. Exactly. We can't have that. We are going to go to a break. You are listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. Inspire Art Dallas uses advocacy, fundraising, and public events to encourage the flourishing of the City of Dallas Public Art Program and to enrich public art experiences for residents and visitors to the City of Dallas. I'm Kay Kalos, Public Art Program Manager for the City of Dallas Office of Arts and Culture. almost a teenager. I have a real problem. My daddy and my grandfather love pie. For my daddy, it's apple. For my poppy, it's anything lemon. But they won't bring me any pie. I don't think that's fair. They always go to Judy Pie on Main Street in Grapevine, where Miss Judy and her bakers make 20 different kinds of pies and cinnamon rolls on the weekend. But I don't get any. They tell me I can have pie when I'm a teenager, like pie is only for grown-ups or something. Can someone please call my daddy and my poppy and tell them I need pie? In the meantime, you can go to JudyPie.com, or if you're in Grapevine, Texas, visit Judy Pie on Main Street. And if my daddy or my poppy are there, tell them that Kaya wants a piece of pie. Welcome back. You are listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. So, is it okay if we play the clip now? Yes. Okay. Officials have said over and over again, the virus doesn't discriminate. It's mind-boggling, right? Uh, that doesn't, it doesn't make statistical sense. You can see African-Americans represent 41% of COVID-19 deaths. In Louisiana, 70% of people killed by COVID-19 are black, even though they only represent 32% of the state's population. I'll be honest with you. If it wasn't a conspiracy, it should have been. In order for my father to have discovered that he had four arteries blocked in his, in his heart, I had to tell him to lie to the doctor so that they can do more testing. People who don't have health insurance are walking around just praying that they don't get sick. The lower income you are, the less likely you are to get the things you need and the longer it takes. Patients that grew up in rural areas, low-income patients, um, they don't get much health care or don't have the means and the funds to get, tr get the proper treatment that they should have. We have a lack of addressing people's needs when they do present to care. Um, to me, that means we're not treating everyone equally. If we don't have the right type of questions to ask and we're not talking to somebody that looks like us, then we don't always get the right type of care we need. That's reality. Wow, Lindell. You know, it's been a while since I have seen that movie and that trailer was great. So how did you decide to pick those parts to put together that trailer? That's a question that deserves a long meandering answer, which I'm going to try and truncate this. But one of the things that struck me, Joyce, was when we were filming you, 
that day, and you talked about how your father, a decorated serviceman from the U.S. Air Force, how you had to tell him to lie to the doctor to get the treatment that he deserved. And that statement from the interview, it just resonated with me so heavily. And I just felt that that clip needed to be in the trailer. And that really needed to be the anchor point in the trailer that we just built around. Because if you have people that literally put their lives on the line to protect our nation and they come back and they can't get virtuous quality health care, my God, what does that say for the rest of us? And that was one of the reasons that we built the trailer kind of around that clip of you talking about your dad. But seeing it again after these last six months, not watching it, what resonated with you from the trailer? The statements that were made, particularly by our former physician, when she talked about how people who don't have insurance pretty much walk around hoping that they don't get sick. I mean, those are some of the messages we've heard from our patients. And they're thinking more about the bill, the long wait in the emergency room and the big bill they're going to receive once they get in. Because most of us know if we've had, ever had to go to the emergency room and we find out it's not a life or death situation as defined by the folks in the emergency room, then we're still going to get a bill that's pretty huge. But if we don't know if there are any other options of regular primary care doctors that we can go to, then the hospital is the only place where we know to go. So I liked her statement about it because it is true. People who don't have insurance really will walk around hoping they don't get sick because they, they just don't think that they'll get the care. And for us, we just know that we really want people to find a regular primary care home, a medical home, so that they can be checked out even when they don't believe it's an emergency. But I am so glad that you and I had a chance to talk about all the great work that you do as a big-time producer and that you had some time to spend on the healthcare chat with Joyce Tapley. I really enjoyed being on the show today. I've never guessed on any show at all. I'm never on this side of the microphone or the camera at all, as you know. So uh, I really enjoyed it. And I just want to tell you again, you're a phenomenal host. And I really like producing these podcasts for you. I really enjoy it. Thank you. One of my favorite things to do. And now, of course, I know you're kicking me out. It is time. I've got another podcast to do with another special guest who kind of looks like you. Maybe you're related, possibly. Okay. So you're saying (laughs) he looks like Denzel Washington, right? Because, you know, that's kind of who people say that I look, I get mistaken for Denzel Washington all the time. I get mistaken for Denzel all the time. People are like, hey, you know, it's like, weren't you in that movie, The Equalizer? Weren't you in? And I'm like, I double for Denzel I'm trying to sometime. figure out who said that. I bet nobody said that. Okay. Thank you right. so much for being <laughs> on Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. Once again, we have Lindell Singleton, the producer of the podcast. Thank you so much, Lindell. I'll see you very soon. And to those who are listening, I would like to share some exciting news, something I just experienced over the last few weeks. I was selected for an award called the Alumni Impact Award from my alma mater. And most of you probably do not know much about how I got to where I am now. So I want to just first talk about kind of where I went to school and and what's taken place 
I guess, leading up to the fact that I received this award. I graduated from the University of Washington with my undergraduate degree in mathematics, and I was interested in becoming a physician, and I was a pre-med student. But after I finished school, which took a long time for me to get out of school, but I did it, and I went to a career fair. And at that career fair, they talked about a hospital administration program that was through the School of Public Health. And I was very excited about that because I realized that would be about a two or three year commitment. It wouldn't cost as much money as if I went to medical school. And I still wanted to remain in healthcare, but that gave me an opportunity to look at the business side of running a, a hospital. And so I actually applied for the school and got in. So I went through the School of Public Health, received my master's in healthcare administration with a focus in finance because I love numbers and graduated went on to get some training back in my hometown of Los Angeles, worked at one of the hospitals, the county hospitals there as a hospital administrator, and then kind of progressed in my career from there. So I graduated in 1990, which was a long time ago for some folks. But the biggest thing is, in my 32 plus years of being in hospital administration and healthcare administration, I received a letter just a few months ago inviting me to be the keynote speaker for the graduating class of 2022 for the Healthcare Administration School of Public Health program. And actually, the School of Public Health has bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and doctorate degrees. So I spoke to a class for 2020, 2021, and 2022. They actually brought back the other two schools. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the experience of actually receiving this award, which I would have never expected to have been received, and just talk about some of the topics that I had in my address to the students, because I focused on health. And we know that as people graduate from different programs, their mind is, I'm going to go out and I'm going to save the world. But the focus of my topics for them and were on their developing their own personal health and doing all that they can do for themselves so that they can help make the world a better place. So what we'll do is listen to a few of the excerpts from my speech, and then we'll talk a little bit about that. Good morning, good morning, everyone. I bring greetings to the big state of Texas and the big D, Dallas-Fort Worth. Now, I tried my best to bring the sun. And I know it's starting to come out, but uh, we'll get there as time goes on. To our very own Dean Hillary Godwin, Award Selection Committee, esteemed colleagues, and to Mrs. Vonetta Jenkins Barton, who submitted the nomination, I thank all of you for selecting me for this award. This truly is an honor. But before I spend some time addressing the class of 2022, I want to again ask that all of you provided a standing ovation to the classes of 2020 and 2021. They did a great job. And these two classes participated in virtual ceremonies for the first two years of a coronavirus pandemic. And we just want you to know we have not forgotten about you and the great accomplishments you have made to the communities thus far. Thank you. And now to the class of 2022. I got to say this first. You must know how good you have it. You are graduating from the fourth ranked school of public health in the world. In the world. 
according to the 2021 global ranking of academic subjects. So please, let's show some love to our faculty at this time. Yes. Wonderful. We couldn't have done it without them, right? I want to close with a special poem written by me to you called You Are Ready. In this time zone called life is a journey of many paths planted from two seeds of knowledge, truth, love, and watered and fed with food and light and sheltered in a blanket of historical genetics sometimes we cannot control. Your foundation is anchored now from ancestors, most of whom you do not know. Their roots are deep within your soul, your trust that their strength will continue to grow. And as wisdom is gained from your core, you will ascend and be fruitful, blazing trails dispersed from sea to shore. So as you rise to cross over the bridge, you are confident enough to believe you are ready for whatever road you choose to follow to lead. Just remain true to who you are and don't ever lose sight of your goals, no matter how far. Congratulations again, University of Washington School of Public Health Class of 2022 and 2020 and 2021. Your new journey to the improvement of public health awaits you. Thank you. I delivered the speech on June 12th at the University of Washington School of Public Health. If you would like to watch it, it is available on YouTube. And we'll also have the links available on our social media outlets. So thank you so much for listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. Have a great evening. Or have a great day. Have a great life. Just have a great one. And that concludes another installment of Healthcare Chat. For all upcoming and previous episodes, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hit the subscribe button and you will always be notified when a new podcast is published. Until next time, thank you again for listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley.